back to this series that we've been doing, talking about taking off all the things that hinder us. Out of Hebrews chapter 12, running the race that is set before us and taking off the things that hinder us. And we've looked at different things that hinder us. We've looked at pride, envy, greed, sloth. Lots of things that can appear to be really small. But somehow they they entangle us. Hebrews talks about sins that so easily entangle us. And there are lots of sins that easily entangle us. And I think... The, the reason why we've taken on some of the sins we've taken on in this series is because they're sins that easily entangle us. They're things that we don't think of very much. Like, eh, that's not a big deal. But before we know it, it entangles us. And in Minneapolis, where I'm usually preaching, and it's usually on a, on a nighttime, but we've talked about it as if you're running a race. And people start, it's, everybody's spraying silly string at you. Eventually... Enough silly string on top of you is going to trip you up. You're going to slip on it. You're going to not be able to see. You'll be doing this, and you fall down. Same kind of thing. Little sins. Little things that so easily entangle us. And we've looked at all these different ones, and uh, today we're going to talk about my favorite. Really. Do we have the... There we go. Got the first one there. All right. So some of you know that... Well, some of you know who I am. Some of you might not know. I'm Sam Snyder. I'm the lead pastor at Bethel Christian Fellowship in Minneapolis. And I grew up in Mexico, and I got to go back to Mexico a little bit over a week ago. Some of you got the prayer request, and you prayed for me. Thank you for praying. It went really good. It was a week-long conference. God was doing some great stuff at the conference. It seemed to be words for where the churches that are down there and their leaders were at for that time. It was exciting. And I love going back. I love seeing, seeing friends, and I love see, being able to, to, to speak into kind of the life of the congregations that are down there as a whole. But I really like the food, too. And getting ready to go down, my mom had sent me uh, an email saying, hey, this is going to be your, your birthday present. Tell me what foods you would like to eat while you're down here. And I thought about it, and I was like, we're in a conference. There's no way we can actually, we hardly see each other when I'm down there. It's one of those things. You go down, and you're so busy with the conference. And conferences there are a lot like conferences like some of you grew up with. I mean, it's preaching all day long. You, you take a break from preaching to go do some worship, and then you go back to preaching. So it's like you don't really see each other. You have these breaks for food. And I'm like, we're going to be at a conference. They're going to be making food there. I don't think you're going to be able to cook this food for me. But thanks for the thought. It's a nice thought. I don't want to put any more stress on you. Uh, If for any reason there was an opening, these are the foods that I would like. But you don't have, I mean, don't worry about getting all of them. Just, yeah, a couple. Not a big deal. I'm not too worried about it. But one of my favorite foods is tacos. I don't know about you, but that's one of my favorites. What are are your favorites? I'd like to hear. Fajitas? Pizza, enchiladas, lasagna. We have lots of favorite foods here, don't we? Chinese food, anybody? Chinese food? 
all right? The Italian. Everybody's getting excited now. They're thinking, it's lunchtime's coming. <laughs> food. Just food in general. Well, mine is tacos. And one of the reasons why I like tacos is because tacos, you can make pretty much anything into a taco. Just wrap a tortilla around it, and it's a taco. And there's tons of different kinds of tacos, so it's a really general thing to have as a favorite food. So I like that. But as I was going down to Mexico, I asked my mom for some, that, you know, one, one good thing would be pozole. I mean, I would like pozole, and, uh, which is delicious. If you haven't had it, go to a Mexican restaurant, ask them if they have pozole. If they don't, it's not a real Mexican restaurant. Just saying. Um, another thing I wanted, I wanted fish. Just, there's this fish that's cut down the middle, spread out. It's a la talla. It's, it's grilled. It's delicious. Oh, so good. So I made sure I, made sure I had that. I stopped uh, one day and just kind of, we, we went into this little beach place and we got some fish for lunch before the conference. But I'd, I'd sent this list of things to my mom and I didn't think anything of it until as we're going through the conference, one of the days, on Thursday night, we had pozole. That's when it kind of hit me that this was starting to add up. And we had had ceviche when I went to the beach. And I had that other fish. I figured two fish, ceviche is just delicious. It's like sushi um, a la mexicana. It's, it's, it's a Mexican version of sushi because it's raw fish that's been sometimes lightly dipped in lime, sometimes not. And it's so delicious. It's so good. It's one of my favorites. They're, actually, they're all pretty much some of my favorites. And then there was barbacoa one night. And barbacoa is also really good. It's just so good. I'm trying to make you hungry here. And then there was picadillo. And I remember on the night, a Thursday night, the conference is over the next day. Thursday night, I'm sitting there. We're eating pozole. And the only thing on my list that we hadn't had yet was picadillo. So I'm telling one of the ladies, I'm like, this is amazing. I had these things I wanted to eat. And I'm eating these things at the conference. And, and I'm like, the only thing that I haven't had yet is picadillo. And she's like, the conference isn't over yet. <laughs> the next day for lunch, we had picadillo. It was fantastic. I realized later that my mom had gone to a meeting with these ladies who were planning the, the, the food, and I grew up at this church, so they all know me. And they're going through things, and they're suggesting things that were on my list. And I'm like, yes. And I found out, when I found out later, I'm like, that's so cool. But there were a couple times that things that were on my list were, like half, the, half of the group of cooks was contending for one and half was for another. Then they turned to my mom, and they're like, what do you think? She's like, well, Sam would like this one. And then they're like, okay, we're making that one. <laughs> so I got to eat this delicious food while I was down there. And I thought I was eating until I was satisfied, you know, because I knew that I was going to be speaking on gluttony. That's what we're speaking on today. And I'm doing pretty good. I'm eating until I'm satisfied, even though this is some of my favorite food. And I'm stopping when I'm full, which is, takes a lot of work for me. And especially with this food. But then there was this other thing I had asked for. It's pretty easy to make. Uh, it was flan. And flan is like my absolute favorite Mexican dessert. And there was a lot of flan. We had flan pretty much every break. We'd go, whenever we went back to the house, either in the middle of the afternoon or at night, around like 11, there was flan. So I'd have some flan. And uh, as I was eating flan, I was trying to you know, rationalize my actions and think, well, you know, uh, this isn't really gluttony, right? Or, I just need to gain more experience in gluttony so that I can speak with authority on the subject. Because, I mean, really, my whole life of gluttony didn't give me enough authority to speak on it. I just needed a little more. A little more. 
And we all know about gluttony, and we've heard about it. We know it's bad, and we know that it's a bad thing that other people deal with. But not us. It's just which way it's not healthy, it's not wise, it's a sin, but it's somebody else's sin, usually, right? Really interesting thing I want to point out to you is gluttony doesn't have to do with, even necessarily with food as a whole, it's, it's, it's an attitude thing, but it doesn't, it doesn't gluttony is not something that you struggle with if you're um, overweight or if you're healthy or if you're skinny. Gluttony is, you know, like, you can't just put it in the one category and go, like, I don't, I don't struggle with that. Man, some of the healthiest people I know in terms of their workout regimen and everything are gluttons. They've told me. I was one of them, actually. I'd work out. Why did I work out? So that I could eat more. That's a glutton. I mean, I'm just going to put it out that that's me. I worked out so that I could eat more. Not to be healthy, not because it's a good idea, not to live longer, but I really like food. So that's why I worked out. And so some of, the, some of the healthiest people I know in terms of their workout regimen are gluttons, and they've told me. I love food so much. That's really the only reason I work out. <laughs> that's gluttony. And we've all struggled with it at one point or another in our lives. We see gluttony when, when we go to the store or we go to McDonald's. I mean, that just by itself is probably a beginning of it. But anyway, that's beside the point. We go and we get a pop anywhere that has refills, Right? And we get our first drink, and we drain the thing, and we go back, and we get a refill, because it's financially irresponsible not to get a refill. So we get a refill. We keep eating, and it's almost down, and we're like, we're, we're actually full. It's kind of hurting now. But we go, but I have a free refill, so I'm going to use it. So we go back, and we get the free refill to go, because we're not already full. But we, we go, and we're, we're already stuffed. We're kind of walking out of there full, but we've got our refill in our hands. That, I would suggest, is probably gluttony. Maybe. Or we go to the movie theater and we get popcorn that's priced at about 600% of what it's worth. And we, we're, those things are huge. The popcorn containers. Like, you finish one of those, you're, you're stuffed. At least I am when I'm sharing it. But there's a free refill. So you go get the free refill. Why? Because you can. Am I the only one? Just, you guys are looking at me like, who got this speaker? He's like the most unspiritual person to talk about this thing. We want somebody that doesn't struggle with it to tell us how, how to not struggle with it. So that's, that's gluttony. We all, we've all heard about it. Proverbs warns about it. Proverbs tells us to not be among the drunkards or gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Gluttony leads us to poverty. We can look at it and go just by itself, forget the sin part. It's just not wise. Not only can it lead us to poverty, it can also lead us to sickness. So, the, so we're talking about gluttony because it's a small thing. It's a seemingly small thing that can entangle us. And it can hold us back from what God has for us because of the underlying attitude. And we'll get to that in a minute. Paul talks about the underlying attitude. Not because, not because of even like the American idealized body that says this is the body you should have, therefore gluttony is bad. No, because there's an underlying attitude that affects all of us in a consumer culture that we live in. The medieval moralists distinguished five types of gluttonous eating. This was really interesting to me because I thought gluttony was just like one kind of eating. But a thousand years ago, 
they had discovered that there were more than one, there was one, more than one way to eat gluttonously. Here they are, hastily. You know, when people come to food and inhale it, they, even though they might not be eating too much, they consider that a form of gluttony because it wasn't taking the time to enjoy it. You know, you turn around and it's gone. I just, I just, this happens, this happens to me sometimes when I'm feeding my kids. I give them a plate of food, I'm serving up the other kids. I come back and they're already done. I'm like, I haven't even sat down yet. You know, that kind of thing. Just inhale it. Or sumptuously. Demanding rich foods. I, I only have the best. Excessively. Eating too much. We've all done that. We can identify with that one. Man, I remember as a kid, whoo, coming to the States, and where do they take the missionaries? The old country buffet. <laughs> she knows. She knows. Where do you take the missionaries? Old country buffet. And I remember eating this one time specifically. It's just burned in my memory. I ate so much. I was so sick. Immediately. I just, because I'd never seen this much food in one place. So I'm just plate after plate after plate, and I got so sick. We've all eaten excessively at some point or another. Maybe we save it for Thanksgiving or Christmas, but we've done it. And greedily, greedily means I, they saw it as, I want my food now. I want my food right now. When I want my food, I want my food right now. And this demanding form of consumption as a greedy form of gluttony. And then there's this other one, which I wouldn't have thought of, daintily, eating daintily, where the food has to be just so. It just has to look just right on the plate and just perfect so that you can take a picture and Instagram it. You know, just just so, so that all your friends are jealous of how much fun you're having. And that's the dainty form of eating. Like, the food has to look perfect and be just right. And they consider that a form of gluttony. Why? Well, I think the reason why all of those things were considered forms of gluttony was because of the underlying motivation. Because food was created to be food, not to meet any other needs inside of us other than our need for energy, our need to strengthen our muscles, build our bones, our need to give us the energy to work and to be the people God's called us to be. That was what, that's what food was made for. But sometimes we've taken it and used it for other things. Paul asked the question related to a different topic, but he said, is food for the stomach or is stomach for food? Which, is, which one serves who? And sometimes we can think about gluttony like, is it really so bad? It's not like we stop worshiping God. Sometimes I think, though, that we have a litany of gluttony. And a litany is a long prayer, usually a repetitive prayer, that where the speaker speaks one thing and everybody repeats. And it's this prayer that can go on and on and on seemingly forever. That's a litany. But sometimes it's, we, then there's litanies, a litany of humility, litany of the saints. There's these other litanies that have been made throughout history, but I made one for today called the litany of gluttony. And if you wanted to repeat, it would go like this. The repetition would be, give me more. You don't have to. I won't make you. But it would go, oh, delicious and filling things of life. Give me more. When I'm full, but there's still more, give me more. When I'm bored, when I have already had dessert, 
When I'm stressed or sad, give me more. When I feel empty inside, give me more. When I see something I like, give me more. When I have to choose between portions, give me more. And that's, I think, the litany of gluttony. It's a, it's a something of the culture that we live in. We live in a, in a consumer culture where it's not just about food. It's about give me more. We, we, we've, we've got to choose between uh, cable packages, right? For cable TV, do we pick, to pick the minimum one that has 99% of the channels that we want? Or do we pick the biggest one? Give me more. We go to eat, and they say, do you want to, well, they used to say, they don't do it anymore. Would you like to supersize that? Would you like the extra value meal? Well, is it extra value? Like, I get more for my money this way by paying another $2? Sure, yeah, I want the extra value because I can't have the regular value. Give me more. Paul writes about people who, in this seeking more and seeking to fill something inside of them, had gotten distracted from the race that they were running. And instead of seeking after God, they began to seek after pleasure. He writes this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. So if you have your Bible, I would invite you to turn to Philippians 3, verse 12. Writes of people who were running the race, and at the beginning there, he actually uses language that we would use in a race. Paul, another time, uh, wrote about training our bodies physically because this physical body is, is a temporary. It's a tent. So we'll read in Philippians 3, 12 through 21. And if you would, and you're able to, stand with me as we read this scripture. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See the racing language there? Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words, run with me in this race and follow other people who are running this way. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So all those three things are connections. Connected. Their God is their belly, they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would open up your word to us, speak to our hearts what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Their underlying attitude was a temporal attitude. They were focused on the things of this earth, and it says their God is their belly, their very own satisfaction. Food might have been involved in this thing. But in this of glorying in their shame, their God is their belly with mindset on earthly things, you see an attitude of self-indulgence. 
and in our consumer culture that we're surrounded by and affected by and kind of ensnared by sometimes as we're running, these things entangle us. That consumer culture and that consumer way of thinking goes back to self-indulgence, self-gratification. That's the underlying attitude. That's why gluttony is a problem. Because it's not just about self-satisfaction or self-gratification or self-indulgence when it comes to food, but it's the underlying attitude that approaches life that way. So it's not, about, not just about the bag of chips that I grab when I don't know what else to do. And I just munch on the chips, and I'm not even hungry. You guys done that? You're not even hungry. And every once in a while, the thought pops in your head that says, why am I doing this? I'm bored. I want something. I don't know what else I want, so I grab chips. Maybe chips weren't enough, so I'm going to go get some hummus, some pita chips. That'll be better, because this isn't doing it. I actually usually like to pref I prefer to stick to nachos and salsa myself. But anyway, indulging our own desires, our own passions, our own whims, our own impulses, especially when it's done without restraint and self-indulgence. And our pleasures can begin to take such an important place in our lives that it begins to affect every other part of our lives. As an example, I would give you Esau, who went out hunting, comes home and sees his brother Jacob making a stew. And without any form of self-control, it appears, as I read the story, he sees the stew and nothing else matters now. There's food. I must be satisfied right now. I must be indulged right now. And his brother, very sneakily, says, oh, yes, look at this. He's probably making it waft towards him, you know, his stew and maybe tipping it over just a little so he can see it. Oh, so good. You know, but he's conniving. He's got a plan. And he says, oh, you can have some of this stew if you give me your birthright. And he says, well, of what use is the birthright to me if I'm dead? Come on, were you really that hungry? You were hunting. How bad of a hunter are you that you didn't get anything to eat? And if you did get it, why didn't you kill it and prepare it? You know, if you, if you killed it, skin it and prepare it and have yourself a steak instead of a stew of vegetables. I mean, really. But he's there. He came back from hunting, and he's like, I'm going to die. And, I mean, it worked really well for Jacob with his little plot that he had going on. But I would have been like, really? You're going to die? You can't make it to the house over there? Like, start preparing something yourself? You can't make it another hour? You're that close to death that you trade away something very important for something temporal. And that's the effects that gluttony can have on us. That's the effects that self-indulgence can have on us. I must have what I want right now. It doesn't matter if I'm trading away something better in order to get it. They're the, the sons of Eli, Eli the prophet who trained Samuel, the prophet that Samuel was trained under, had sons that were out of control. Their God was their stomach. They would break all sorts of protocol and of the ways of the right ways of doing things and the right ways of treating people who would come having sacrificed an animal out of their flock. These people are bringing an animal to, to kill it. So that means they have less now because of it. 
And they're bringing this animal as a sacrifice to God. And instead of respecting and honoring that, they're looking at that animal that's coming in and going like, mm, I'd like a New York strip out of that one. Oh, man, T-bone steak out of that one. So as they would come to offer, the, Eli's sons would grab the choice pieces that they wanted. And they would, they would grab it, and they would even threaten the people. This is what, so they would send their servants to, to collect, to take the choice pieces of meat, and they would say, this is what I want. And if you don't give it to us, we'll take it by force. Totally trampling the whole idea of the whole worship that was supposed to be happening as people were taking of their own stuff to sacrifice it to God. Somebody else was coming in going like, I want that piece and that piece. Oh, that's going to make a great steak right there. I'm going to stew that one over here. And they eventually died because of their sin. But at the root of it, they were self-indulgent. They were selfish. They were focused on their temporal, physical needs. They didn't know what self-control was, apparently. And that bled over into other areas of their lives and how they even interacted with, with uh, other women in the temple and the people that were coming to the tabernacle there to, to offer their sacrifices. So my question for you, are you being self-indulgent in your habits? The chief error about gluttony, like I mentioned before, is to think that it only pertains to food. Self-indulgence affects all of our lives. When we can't have enough toys, you know, fun things to, to play with or keep us busy, we can't have enough entertainment, we can't have enough television, enough hanging out with friends, like where, where we find something good, and then we've got to have everything of it. You know what I mean? Like we find a good form of entertainment, suddenly we've got to buy every form of it. Or we've got to, wow, I just found this great thing. I'm going to take 12 hours to watch that. It's like, now, I can't wait and spread this out over the next couple of weeks. I've got to do it right now. Self-indulgence affects every part of us. And I see it broken down a little more simpler than, um, than the five forms of gluttony. And if we look at it more in terms of self-indulgence, um, we can see that that just is gross. All right. Some of the symptoms of gluttony or self-indulgence in our lives is when we want more quantity. We want more pleasure. So we find that something and we want more of it. And we just kind of keep digging in that direction, trying to get more of it. Sometimes that means that we, involve, we end up uh, demanding too much from people. Or expecting too much from, the, say, the, the food that we, that we eat. It becomes more food. Well, that was good. one piece was good. Two pieces are better. Man, I'm guilty. That's probably my, my biggest um, self-indulgence is sweets. You know, if one large cup of coffee is good, two is better. Uh, I remember I talked about, uh, a couple years ago, talked about how my big coffee mugs had gotten broken. And, uh, and Tom here got me a, a coffee mug that is about half a coffee pot. You know, so now I can just drink one cup of coffee. But it's believing that more of something is better. Then we're probably self-indulgent. If, if, if having more of it is going to make it better, then could be believing the lie of self-indulgence. Or when we think of more quality, we want something exactly a certain way. We're really particular about it. 
We want it to be better every time. We can even think about church this way and worship. We can, uh, I, I think that the uh, excellence belief, like it's got to be done with excellence, it's got to be done with excellence, which is true. We should give God excellence. But when the driving, the motivator is to give people excellence, then we, we, begin, we become driven by giving people more and more quality. And then, you know, then people are going to come to Jesus because we really nailed the song. And we can, we, we can let that self-indulgent thing like, oh, man, now we did it. Musically, we just nailed it. I feel really good about myself now. Or if I'm looking for a church or a place of worship, oh, they didn't do that well. I'm going to find a place that actually does the things well. Because, you know, they obviously don't know what quality is. I'm sorry. Sorry. But that type of thinking gets in from the world. That's not from God. When we're looking for a church, the question that God would want us to be asking is, where am I planting you? Where do I want you to serve? Not where do I want to get fed? Getting fed in church is kind of like this type of thinking. Because the job of a pastor, the word is shepherd, is a shepherd leads sheep to water, leads them to grass. So he says, this is the way you can eat. There's healthy stuff over here. There's beverage over here. But the, the shepherd never is supposed to feed sheep unless they're babies. Paul talks about that about as infants craving spiritual milk. That's good, as infants. But after that, we start feeding ourselves. I mean, even us as we're bigger. We grab our steak knives and our forks and we cut our own steak. That's the, but when we come to church and worship and, and any kind of a spiritual family thinking, what can I get from it? Or I want better quality from it. Or I want more quantity from it. Are we buying into the lie of consumerism, of self-indulgence? I know that's a hard word, and I wasn't planning on saying that. Um, but I want to make sure that I'm not buying into it with how I, uh, how I live or how I lead. Well, let's give people what they want. Let's give people what they want. Let's give people what they want. So it's more indulging. It's more a better experience. But man, am I giving God what he wants? Am I getting from God what I need? And I think that addresses our self-indulgence, is when we ask that question, am I giving God what he wants? And am I getting what I need from God? Because we can try to fill our emptiness with more, more of anything, really. Because gluttony consumes and is never satisfied. But God is the only one who can fill, the only one who can satisfy. He's the only one who can give us strength to master this part of our life, to, to, to contrast self-indulgence with self-control. Part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Against such things there is no law. We naturally, as human beings, we naturally lean towards self-indulgence. That's our flesh. It wants that. And the works of the flesh are self-indulgence. But the works of the Spirit, uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit involves self-control. And that's a tough, tough reminder for us, for me, because I love sweets. Especially flan. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. 
On Friday night when we responded with scripture to the message, somebody brought that scripture. God has given us a spirit of self-control. So instead of the litany of gluttony, maybe a litany of self-control would say, Holy Spirit, full of grace and power, give me strength. When I have to choose between portions, give me strength. When I'm full but there's still more, give me strength. When I have already had dessert, give me strength. Satisfy me, God. When I'm bored, stressed, or sad, satisfy me. When I feel empty inside, satisfy me. When I see something I like, satisfy me. May I find my satisfaction in you alone, God. I think trying harder isn't the answer. I got to try harder to not be as gluttonous. I try, like being conscious of it is going to help me. Being aware of it when I want that second piece of pie. Being aware of it. But trying harder to not do it is not the answer. The only one who can fill us is the answer. When we find that really I'm doing this because I'm bored or really I'm doing this because I, I feel empty and I just feel like I need to fill something. Coming to God regularly as the one who can fill the bread of life, that's the answer. There's a reason why God refers to himself as bread, as water, as wine throughout scripture because he wants to satisfy us. He doesn't want us to look to these other things. The other things... Paul writes that the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking. It's not about that. Those things don't matter and they shouldn't matter. They shouldn't be a big deal. Food shouldn't control us. Drinks shouldn't control us. It's not about that. It's just food. And if if in our mind and in our approach to it, it's just food, it's not sin. But it's about righteousness, peace. It's about joy. That's what it's about. And he can give us those things. He can fill us. And sometimes in order to find our our fulfillment and our fullness, we need to take some of the things away that we're looking to, to fill us. You know, my wife and I talked about it, and we decided it would be better for the budget, better for my waistline, and better for indulgence, self-indulgence, to start moving towards getting pop out of the house. So it's just not there. And maybe it's a treat that's there for at some, at some point when I go out and decide to pay you know, four times what it's worth at a restaurant. Um, I think about these things. It's really hard to enjoy a meal at a restaurant for me. I'm like, that's not worth that. Anyway, I digress. It's true. Yeah, OK. Um, Maybe it'll be a treat, but it's not something I'm going to allow to to just have around and control me. Uh, so maybe it means cutting something out of, out of out of your regular eating. Maybe it's a sweet. Maybe it's a certain type of food that you just always go to. Maybe it's that bag of chips. Maybe it's food in general. I grew up where we had a weekly fast. The whole church would fast Fridays. And I found a way around the fasting because yeah, I was a kid that was really creative and problem-solving, and at least that's how I viewed it. <laughs> and my solution was, well, we're fasting, but I'm a child. I need milk, you know, for my bones. Okay, you can have milk. Can I put the milk in the blender with ice? Sure, that's fine. Can I add bananas? Sure, whatever, add bananas. 
How about apples? And before you know it, I have like a nutrition shake during this day-long fast because I missed the point. But if you get the point, maybe having a weekly fast is a good idea. Maybe you fast one meal a week. Maybe you fast a day a week. Because you're saying, myself doesn't rule me. The spirit rules me. So if I'm hungry, I can remind myself, I don't need that to live. Man doesn't live on bread alone. Sometimes we, we read that verse and we go, that's true. He, man does not live on bread alone. He lives on steak and pizza and tacos. That's, but that's not what he's talking about. It's like we can, we can rely on God. And we actually, most of us here, we get plenty of food the other meals. So maybe fasting is good. Maybe it's fasting from TV. Taking a day that's a no TV day. See, that's a good idea just as a Sabbath. Or maybe it's fasting from Facebook. Or Pinterest, if you're given to looking at the images that might fuel self-indulgence and going, oh, man, i got to go out and buy that. Maybe it involves fasting from something like that. And maybe we can trade our self-indulgence for a God-indulgence, where instead of going, what do I want, I go, what do you want? So today I want to invite you to be filled by God. To be filled by God, maybe that means that you're going to take a season that when worship is, when, when, when everything is dismissed with a benediction, you're, you're going to stay for worship. Or maybe you're going to take a season of getting up earlier to pray and to have quiet with God. Or maybe it's, I'm going to fast lunch when I'm at work so that I can go on a walk and talk to God. It's not just, I'm going to, I'm going to will my flesh under control. It's not about that. It's about stopping that and getting what really fills, what really satisfies. I want to invite you to pray with me. I don't know if what parts of this spoke to your heart, challenged you, convicted you. I know the word on gluttony convicts me because it's not just about the food. It is about the food, but it's not just that. It affects other parts of my life. It's an attitude that says, I should be able to have what I want when I want it. And I need those things to satisfy me. That's the self-indulgence. And if that's you today, and you, you see that in, one of, in a part of your life, I want to invite you to repent of self-indulgence. Saying, God, I've allowed, I've allowed this to be, to be Lord of my life. You know, the flip side of this that I didn't talk a lot about, but I'll mention, is that we can allow food to control us in the opposite way in being afraid of gaining weight because of food. And then food becomes a God in a different way. It becomes a God by avoiding it. And, sudden, and, and, and the God that we, that we begin to worship then is either physical fitness or how we feel about ourselves when we look in the mirror. But God doesn't want any of those things to be God's. He doesn't want food to be God, either positively where we get too much of it or negatively where we, where we withhold it from ourselves. He wants, he wants to be God in your life. He wants to be source in your life. So if you've seen that in your life and you, you, you know you, there's a need to repent, I want to invite you where you're at to, with your own words, repent and say, God, I want to turn from that. I want to turn to you. And as we sing this next worship song, I want to invite you to maybe don't even sing along and just spend that time praying, talking about the, the, what, what you're resolving in your heart in terms of changing direction, shifting 
taking something off. Romans 12 really gives us the answers there. Um, we can't do this without looking unto Jesus. You're not, you're not going to do that. We, we try in our own, we're going to fail miserably. Amen? He writes in Romans 14, he says that the kingdom of heaven is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And these are all things he wants to bring into your life. And I want to pray for you as we leave. Um, simply that we would just stop and, and recognize that, as Pastor Sim said, we all struggle in this in one form or another. And uh, those of you who think you don't, um, well, you need to go back and get Pastor Ben's message on pride and other things because it is. We all, we all at some season in our life struggle. There's no temptation except that which is common to man. Okay, can we just be honest with each other? We all struggle with this stuff. And this is not about comparing. It's about running a race that is set before us to endure the suffering and to get the prize that the Lord Jesus Christ be glorified over life. It's all about him. So we look to him. And we say, Jesus, we need you. I love this, I love this benediction that, that the writer Hebrew goes on in the next chapter. It says, it says, now may the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the, the, of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, I pray that he would make you perfect in every good work to do his will and that he would work in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. 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 You're dismissed. Uh, I encourage you to stay if you want to worship. God bless you. Have a great day.